Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money podcast. I am your co-host, Martin Palomo. Uh, Stacy Walls joining me today. We have given Neil McCrady the day off. Uh, it is the last day of 2020. Some of us are going to celebrate uh, and enjoy and hoping that 2021 is a much better year. Um, today, we are coming from the Pelican Club studios in Madison. Uh, we have Probably one of our most recurring guests, Dr. Alan Jones <clears throat> from University of Mississippi Medical Center. Alan is the Associate Vice Chancellor for Clinical Affairs, and we brought him back today to uh, give us an update on where we are with the virus, um, what do we think 2021 is going to bring, you know, is the vaccine going to be a, our savior, uh, we still need to wash our hands, keep our distance, all those fun things. Um, but before we get into the show and get Alan in, I want to let you know that uh, this show is presented by Pinnacle Trust. We have been around since 1997. Uh, our founder and CEO, who is with me today, Stacy Wall, um, had the vision to create something a little different than uh, what was in the offerings out there for, for folks for personal finance. Um, one of the things that we pride ourselves in is, is taking away some of the fear and the anxiety around planning and retirement and investing your money. And a lot of folks, you know, this has been a crazy year. People have been doing it on your own. Uh, and if you've been doing it on your own and you've got knots in your stomach or you're unsure, if you're really uh, set up and prepared for retirement, give us a call, 601-957-0323. Um, we'd like to, to sit down with you, chat, see if we can be of assistance. Uh, you know, if there's something that's giving you a headache or heartache, we certainly would love to, uh, to be a solution for you there. Or if you have someone that, uh, that you know hasn't been giving you the attention that you need and you'd like a second opinion, give us a call, uh, 601-957-0323. You can catch us on email as well, info at pinntrust.com. We're also really active on social media. Um, you can find us on Facebook either through the Pinnacle Trust Facebook page uh, or the Mind on My Money podcast Facebook page, and we will respond uh, pretty quickly. Stacy, anything you want to add before we start chatting with Alan? Just thanks for having me, and I guess Neil is just screwing around today or something. <laughs> I'm sure he told you he's booked and has plenty of work. But yeah, so for our listeners who are hearing this, I'm not sure which order is going to happen, but we have we're recording two podcasts this morning. Uh, we generally do one on Thursdays, but I'm going to be out of town um, ne not next week, but the week after. So I'm trying to to bag a few in there so neil had commitments for the first recording well uh, for those that listen to neil's sports podcast uh will know that he's probably just still hung over from not getting the uh, louisiana the monroe, monroe job. coaching job head coaching job i know for he was down skiing. to like the finals for football <laughs> and he just he lost out in the finals but uh, anyway, thanks for having me, Martin, and it's great to be with Alan. And 
And if you don't mind, Martin, I'm going to start it off with Alan. Yeah. Alan and I have been friends for more years than I care to admit to because it just ages me even more. But um, Alan ha has been for years my go-to guy for all things medical. And he's gotten probably a lot more text from me than he wants whenever something comes up, whether my mother-in-law falls and busts her noggin or, or I've got symptoms of the flu or whatever. But Alan, so you were the first one that uh, I text. I guess it was, when did all this start? Was it early March? Well, Alan, you want to start talking? Yeah, kind of started talking, hearing about it in December. Yeah, you know, I think China, it, it, but it was. Yeah, and it might have been February. I don't know. But the first time I texted you, I said, hey, dude, is this stuff for real? And the first time you said, I don't know yet. I'm not sure. And then it was a few days later when you text me back and you said, this stuff is the real deal, man. You need to pay attention to this. And I went to Oxford uh, a couple of days after that, and I was eating with my – and this was right before they shut everything down. I was eating with my father-in-law, mother-in-law, my brother-in-law and his wife, my wife. And they were making light of it. And I was like, y'all, you yeah. can't, this, I, I've talked to Alan. This is the real deal. Little did I know. I don't even know if you knew. There's my first question, Alan. Back then, when you first realized it was the real deal, did you ever think we'd be talking about it on the 31st of 2020, December? No. Um, you know, I think. Going into it, most of us thought that it would be the kind of thing where we would, you know, it would hit us and we would get through it and then we'd be done, you know, and it, it would calm down and yeah. uh, turn into something that was kind of more, you know, endemic or seasonal like the flu hat, like the flu does. But, you know, we were wrong. I mean, obviously, uh, I don't think any of us thought that. 10 full months later, we'd still be looking at, you know, record numbers of cases and hospitalizations and deaths and everything else that's going on. So um, I think it, it probably took most people off guard, particularly, you know, the, the duration with which we've encountered it and, and then looking into the future or how much longer, you know, we're probably going to be dealing with it. Um, so and, if and anybody tells you they predicted it, I think they're not really being <laughs> truthful. Yeah. Right. And I mean, and I'll, and, on, and I'll be on it and I'm on recording, you know, if you go back to the February, March podcasts, I mean, I'm on, it's, 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 it is in history. I, I didn't, I, I downplayed it too, man. And I was wrong and I'll, I'll admit it. And I'm not afraid to say I was wrong. And, and, uh, man, I did kind of think, or I guess maybe it was wishful thinking, hoping, I don't know that this was just going to move through quick and we would just be be done with it. And Alan, I didn't think, man, at the end of the year, you know, if you'd asked me in March, hey, are we going to be talking about this at the end of the year? I would have told you no, you know, and I was, I know that uh, people were saying, you know, like, oh, the summertime is going to come and the heat was going to kill this. And man, I was hoping and praying that that was, uh, that that was going to be true and going to be correct. And obviously that was, that was a that was a 
a, a, a myth and a wish that never came into fruition. So, um, so Alan, um, I want I want to talk about what's going on now and why we're experiencing the record numbers that we are. And and before that, I want to talk about my family had it. My wife and my son and I over Thanksgiving holidays. Yep. And what we did was we let our guard down, and we were tired of being alone and not being around friends. And so we had some friends over to watch a football game. And out of uh, – And it wasn't even a lot of people, though. It was it was, it was a small group. Yeah, yeah, we were right at ten people. And, um, of course, one of them one. had it, and he didn't know it. And so there was nine left. Two had already had it, so they had the antibody. So that's down to seven. And out of seven of us, five got it. Um, and so we were fortunate, no hospitalizations, but it was not a lot of fun. Uh, what's going on now? Uh, isn't that kind of what's happening now? People are tired of being by themselves. Yeah, I mean, what's driving it all is, um, you know, Two, well, I'd say probably two things that are the big drivers. The first is that, yes, people are getting together in groups um, and, you know, not with the notion that, okay, well, we'll ask each other and nobody's coughing, nobody's a sore throat, nobody's a fever. And so they feel comfortable. Okay, well, nobody has it. So they get together or, or some people aren't even being that you know, careful about it, and they're just um, they're just getting together, maybe not even asking. But exactly the scenario that you described, Stacy, is that one of the highest infectious time periods for this stuff is the immediate pre-symptomatic time, and so that's the 24 to 36 hours before your symptoms develop, and uh, that's when you're highly infectious you have a pretty high viral load and that's what's kind of pushing the virus around um, is you know you're spreading it or someone who has it is spreading it and doesn't know they even know they had it yeah yeah they they don't know they have it yet but it's really really common and we're seeing this a whole lot you know we have 10,000 employees um, so we see it a lot where someone, um, you know, reports that they went to X place and nobody was symptomatic. And then the next day they started coughing and lo and behold, they had spread it to everybody that they were around the day before. They didn't know they were spreading it, but they were. Well, that, that um, just confirms that I gave it to my dentist because... <laughs> We, yeah, the football you, game you was Saturday did. night, and I went to the dentist Monday afternoon, and I started and I found out on Tuesday from the spreader who had given it to me that he sent me a text and said bad news, uh, but I didn't experience symptoms until Thursday. So here's the unpredictable thing, you know. Also about about it is that you know it can take up to 14 days for, you know, symptoms to develop in somebody, but it can take as few as two to three days. It, and a lot of that depends on the the amount of virus, the load of virus that you are inoculated with. So if you're, you know, if you're 
in somebody's face, you know, constantly for a couple of hours talking, intimate conversation, whatever, you're getting a higher viral load that you're being infected with than if you're six feet apart from somebody and, and you're watching a football game or 10 feet apart from somebody you're watching a football game and they yell a couple of times and get it out in the air and you, you know, breathe it in, but not continuously or not in a large amount. Um, it might take longer for that virus to replicate in your system and therefore longer for you to become symptomatic. Um, and it could also be that you have a less severe case because of the inoculum. We know from healthcare people that the doctors that early on in this were um, intubating people, you know, putting breathing tubes in yep. and not wearing N95 or not wearing um, masks that were truly filtering masks. Those people, young, healthy people got sick really quick and a lot of them died uh, because of the severity of disease that they had. And that's probably because they were getting such a, a huge viral, you know, hit with such a huge viral load. So there's so many, there's so many factors. It's not as simple as you are around somebody that had it. I mean, you can both probably get examples where you know you or one of your family members was exposed to somebody in the 48 hours before someone got it and they didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, my I, son, my son's girlfriend got it. He was with her both 48 hours before and 24 hours before, you know, uh, watching a movie in a car, riding around. He didn't get it. You know, I mean, so, so are some people because of the, the spreader that brought it to our house, his wife was one of the ones that never got it. I mean, are, are some people immune to it? Well, I don't know if you could, if you've used the term immune, but certainly um, there are some people whose immune system reacts to it quicker. Yep. Perhaps it's because they're, they, they had a variant of a coronavirus that is similar and they attack it faster. But we know that there are people who get it and don't have symptoms. Yep. Um, so it could be that she had it and just never got symptomatic or got symptomatic enough you know, to make her feel like she was ill. Um, so it's just the, the clinical, we call it the clinical phenotype. So the clinical presentation of it is so variable um, and unpredictable. You know, that's one of the problems with the virus. That coupled with the fact that it's so highly infectious. I mean, you know, for every person that gets it, they're going to give it to two and a half to three and a half other people. Um, and you think about the flu, the flu is like one, one for one. So it's a lot, it's a lot more uh, infectious than any other virus that we've encountered, you know, respiratory virus that we've encountered. Yeah, and our story at our house, and I've, I've talked about it on the podcast, so I'll talk about it again. You know, my wife and my son ended up with it simultaneously, but, but uh, they had, it's kind of, their situation was kind of weird because, um, you know, my son was at his mom's house for the week prior to, and they both presented symptoms on the same day. But, um, man, going back and backtracking, so Gia and I found out after the fact, because I was trying to send her back to school and we had to get a negative test, <clears throat> she tested positive, no symptoms, and then, um, you know, and then they tested me for antibodies as well, and, and I had the antibodies, but no symptoms, and um, I, th I think I was the spreader, 
in our house and didn't have a a single symptom. The only thing that happened um, was coffee tasted like garbage for about four or five days, and I didn't understand it, and I thought I maybe had like a bad batch of <laughs> of coffee at the house. And looking back, realizing that was the the Rona messing with my taste buds, probably. Um, yeah, probably so. But you know, I bet you I was the one that spread it to, you know, to Jennifer, and I probably spread it to Christopher the week before when I was with him, and uh, Gia was with me. Gia's with me all the time. She's my ride or die buddy. And um, but so my buddy, and the, the reason I think it was me too was, um, I have a, I have a buddy that we have a, we won a, a sailboat that's it's like a hundred dollar sailboat, so nothing that's that's like a you know super fancy we won it in a raffle as a hundred dollar ticket and we were on we went down to baton rouge to get some sales and um backtracking i think i was i had symptom or i had the i was a carrier at that time anyway he and his wife ended up positive and i bet i spread it to them too and he was in a car with me for you know two and a half hours all the way to <laughs> to baton rouge sitting in the passenger seat and then you know two and a half hours all the way back, and about a week later, he thought he had a sinus infection. They went to the doctor, and they were both positive for for coronavirus. Huh. And um, yeah, so yeah, man, I think I think I was the I was the silent spreader, dude. So so, Alan, let's talk um, vaccines now because that's the big news, and and a lot of the news I'm seeing right now is that the uh, the states or many states were unprepared for distribution and so the distribution's coming out slow uh what are your thoughts on that um not i'm not so asking you to throw the state government <laughs> under the bus or anything yeah like yeah, that. yeah no i understand yeah are they seeing the impact at the hospital so you know the two the two vaccines that we have now um use the same technology and we can if you want to talk about that i can explain that a little bit to help people Sure. Feel a little more comfortable with it. But yeah, because I think there's a lot of people that are have tons of questions about the vaccine too. So Yeah, so let me I'll cover Stacy's question, which is the distribution, and then we can if you want to talk more about it. So essentially the the first vaccine that came out, the Pfizer vaccine, it's complicated. Um it's not it's not a simple, straightforward like a flu vaccine or a you know, you go get your tetanus booster. Uh, it's got very detailed requirements for storage. Um, it requires ultra cold storage, right. which is minus 80 degrees Celsius. Which is freezing. Um, and then once you take it, it can be out of that for two minutes before it has to be used. Wow. And once it's you know, reaches a temperature that is a refrigeration temperature. It has to be used within five days. And once you puncture the vial, it has to be used within six hours. We have all these reporting requirements to the federal government with temperatures and, um, you know, administration, who we're giving it to, all kinds of demographics about those people. We have to report it through a certain system that feeds into HHS. So it's it's just a little bit more it's logistically more difficult to administer this vaccine um, due to just some of the nuances of the vaccine and so i don't i don't know if i'd say that states were unprepared as much as 
it's kind of like everything else in this pandemic. It was something different and you could only prepare so much. And then once you got the vaccine and then had to think about, okay, how are we going to get it to the masses? Um, you know, it just took having it in your hands and trying it a couple of times. We ended up at UMC administering 4,200 doses in less than a week, which is an amazing feat, I think. I mean, that's a ton of vaccine um, with all the reporting requirements that we had and with all the nuances that had to be um, taken care of with handling the vaccine. But yeah, I think, you know, our experience may be a little bit different and there may be there may be states that didn't have the sophistication or the network or whatever to push the vaccine out the way that you know you would you would like to have if it was as simple as um, a single dose vial where you just give somebody a shot uh, you know having to re do all these reporting requirements and having a health record and all these other things that had to be done just just makes things it just slows things down because it's more steps that you have to put in place so not like the polio vac vaccination when <clears throat> when Eisenhower sent everyone to high schools and just kind of one by one knocked you know knock them out knock them out knock them out and did it that well, way I think it's just, a, it's just a different day and time you know there was no I mean back then I mean there was no real record keeping you sure, know sure I, I'm sure that the only record keeping was you might have gotten a card that said you got a polio vaccine <laughs> you know there wasn't lawsuits so associated yeah. with you know adverse <laughs> reactions yeah. and you know just all this stuff that we have to do nowadays so so um, is is the Moderna one different than is it is it easier to administer than um, than the Pfizer one or is it same processes and all that stuff? It just stored storage is just different on it. Is that is that the big difference? Yeah, the the storage is different. The storage temperature is different. Um, the it comes in a different vial. It doesn't have uh, as strict requirements associated with how you know the time frame with which you have to use it. Um, so from that perspective, it's a little bit easier to, to use, but at the same time, um, we now have Pfizer and Moderna, which makes us super nervous about making sure that we don't, you know, mix up which one is you which. can't, you can't, you can't use the different vaccine and different people and, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, just, it adds a, another layer of complexity into you know, because like if you think about flu vaccines, they're basically all the same, right? Right. Uh, and it's one shot. Um, these are two shots, 21 and 28 days apart. And for both? Is that correct? Yeah. For, okay. well, so Pfizer's 21 days apart and the, and Moderna's the uh, Moderna one's 28 days apart. But you got to schedule to get those people back and you got to make sure you know which one they got. Right. You know, that makes just, sense. You just have to be careful with, um, with all of it. But they're both they're both a little more complicated than we're used to. And I suspect that trying to roll that out to, you know, through like a health department or in a mass vaccination program, it'd be difficult. It, it just creates some problems. I mean, we've kept it all centralized to decentralize it and put it into individual clinics and that type of thing. It makes it, it, it puts too many variables into the system that could fail. Um, and we weren't, we, you know, I don't think we as a society can be willing to do that because, you know, we need as many people as we can to get the vaccine and get it the correct way. Right. 
um, and you know clinics don't have this ultra cold storage and can't keep up with the temperature regulations and just all these things that you have to pay attention to so so do you i know when we talked several months back one of the last kind of themes that we ended on was really a kind of a coexistence with with the coronavirus and you know we didn't know whether there would be a a quote-unquote eradication or if it would be like with the flu where flu is going to happen every year it's going to mutate it's going to be different we'll get vaccine you know like i get my flu shot every year and um you know and, and i don't even think anything about it and it's funny i really never paid attention to any of it prior to this year uh you know i just we have uh, a service that comes to our office and gives us flu shots and i just get my flu shot and i don't think twice about it well you think that will become not that a service will be coming to my office but do you think it'll be kind of the norm for you know this thing's gonna change year to year um think it'll be a coexist versus eradication and what's your thoughts on that so i don't think it'll the only way you're gonna eradicate it in a way that you get such herd immunity that we just don't see cases of it is if the vaccine becomes mandatory and you know it's given as a part of normal childhood vaccination programs gotcha um, and you know there's enough people that continue to get it that it's not able to spread around i don't see that happening because it, it is a you know a respiratory virus number one and number two, there there is such a big now anti-vaccine following, uh, and you know I'm not getting into whether that's right or wrong. Right, I'm just right. telling you that there are a large number of people who don't believe in vaccines, and we're starting to see a resurgence of some of the you know infectious diseases that we thought were eradicated back then. I mean, the the one that you hear the most about now is measles. Yeah. You know, we didn't. We never saw cases of measles, um, and now you know it started popping up in some third world countries, and now it's popping up in, you know, um, the Western world uh, in places where it shouldn't be because there's so many people that won't get their children vaccinated, and they won't get vaccinated. I think this is going to become this is going to become endemic. It's going to be like the flu. Okay, is what I think in. I think you're going to get a, a large number of people who will get vaccinated. Yep. You're going to see employers, you know, like a lot of healthcare people do with flu shots, going to be mandatory to get it. Uh, and you, it'll keep it in, in a, it'll keep it enough activity low, you know, the activity low enough so that it's kind of endemic in the population and we'll have cases every year. People will die of it every year. But I think it'll be like more like the flu. Uh, it also depends on if you know the pre the present vaccines that we are administering um, are aimed at that spike protein. Is it's how the virus infects the cell. If that mutates at all, we'll have to see some changes to the to the vaccine. And we don't know how long immunity is going to last from the vaccine. It may be a yearly thing. It may be a every other year every five years we just don't know exactly but i don't think it's going to be a one shot you're done for the rest of your life you don't have to worry about it type of thing alan 
We've had a number of clients ask about that want the vaccine. How do you get on the list? And if you're older or you have pre-existing conditions, how do you get prioritized? So right now, so the CDC has made a, a priority list. Um, and right now we're still in phase 1A, which is healthcare workers and first responders, you know, so EMS, fire, police. Once that group has been offered the vaccine and then there's more vaccine available, it moves to 1B. 1B is essential workers, which is not really defined um, or it's loosely defined. And set, uh, individuals 75 years and older um, so once it becomes, once it gets into 1B, that then becomes to me a more a situation where people could sign up for it. Um, you know, they'd have to somehow show their essential worker or somehow you know, prove their age or whatever. But I think that's when you'll start to see it being offered in a, uh, in a larger populous base than it is right now. So, uh, and then the, oh, the, the group two is uh, age 65 and older with pre-existing conditions. And then it just kind of steps down, you know, all the way to basically the healthy person. And once you have enough vaccine available, anybody will be able to go request it. So if, if you've had it, uh, does that put you at the bottom of the list because you have an antibody? No. Um, actually, it's recommended that you get it, even if you've had it, that you go ahead and get the vaccine. One thing we know about the vaccine is it elicits a stronger immune response than natural immunity uh, because it's targeted. And uh, so you should, if you, if you have the option to get the vaccine, even though you've had um, coronavirus infection, you should still get the vaccine. Uh Alan, I got, I've got a couple of, of, of questions too. One of the things, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask this question to not, not, it's not a gotcha or anything like that. It's, it's really to maybe answer my conspiracy theory, people that are in my life that, um, you know, are, are posting things about that, uh, you know, the flu is non-existent and, they're just every the government is counting flu cases as COVID cases and all these things. Are you guys, are are we in the beginning of flu season? And I, this is my ignorance to I know flu season generally happens in the early spring too. But are we in to to flu season right now here in the U.S.? Yeah, so flu season's basically December through March. Okay, um, really December through the end of February is the highest activity. But we. We keep seeing activity all year, but we really see it start to drop off after the end of March. Gotcha. And are are you guys seeing flu cases simultaneously? You know, or? just a little bit. Um, nothing like we would normally see this time of year. And it's probably due to the fact that um, we have uh, the flu is less infectious. So on average, you're only going to infect one other person if you have the flu and that coupled with the, the people that are wearing masks and social distancing and more frequent hand hygiene, um, 
and are more vigilant about their symptoms and staying away from people. That's probably the reason why we're not seeing as many flu cases. And I know you'll hear people say, well, you know, people, you know, health officials are saying we're not seeing the flu because people are wearing masks, but coronavirus is spreading because people are not wearing masks. <laughs> well, you all must have of read that some is of my actually true, <laughs> but if you know that that coronavirus is much more infectious than the flu is, then you can understand why flu activity is lower, but coronavirus activity is still present. Um, and the drivers of really coronavirus um, infections are groups of people, whereas typically that's not necessarily the driver of influenza infection because it's not as, um, I mean, it is airborne, but it's not as infectious as an airborne disease. So um, I think that's probably the reason that we're not seeing as much flu activity is because there is a group of people that are trying to adhere to guidelines. And I mean, generally, you know, I'm, I've been more impressed in Jackson than I have been in the past year with the number of people that are wearing masks in public and in public places and the number of businesses that are requiring it. Uh, so, you know, I think that's all contributing what's driving the coronavirus infections right now is your house you know people come into your house and uh, you're more like because there's more activity in coronavirus than flu you're more likely to come in contact with somebody that has coronavirus than the flu which is why there's more activity of it gotcha um so it's a little bit of a circuitous explanation but what they're saying is actually true uh, that those small gatherings and then, you know, the restaurants and bars we know are probably the other areas that, um, that have, that are kind of the super spreader events uh, areas. Um, so, so what, I mean, and let me, I want to, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to just dive into that just a little, I want to ask the question of why is that? And, and you may not know the answer and you may, but uh, I'm just curious, you know, why, why are restaurants and bars, I mean, I can understand like a bar, like a nightclub, you know, people dancing, sweating all over each other, DJs, bands, whatever. Like I can totally get that. But so at a restaurant, what's the, what, what makes them super spread or what makes a restaurant a super spreader? It's the same, it's the same thing that, you know, is happening in houses. So let's use Stacy's example of he had people over to, you know, football game, had all those people that come over worn masks and the person that had it that spread it that spread it initially worn a mask it's likely that of the seven people he said that could have gotten it maybe one would have gotten it gotcha worst case scenario two so you're talking about like groups of people going to restaurant not like if my wife and i go to dinner and sit with each other but like if i go with my buddies to dinner and we're all sitting together is that what you're talking about no, I, I mean, so you take what I said and you put it in a restaurant. So when you're in okay. a restaurant, what are you doing? You're eating, you're drinking, you're in a bar, you're yeah, eating, yeah. you're drinking. Right. You don't have a mask on. Correct. So it's just the period of time that you're exposed to the air. You know, generally you're indoors, right? And yep. So it's a period of time that you're exposed to the air that has infectious particles in it without a mask on. And someone else in that restaurant that has it, that is spreading it, and they're spreading it continuously without a mask on. So it's recirculated air. It's non-filtered. 
So it's just the exposure time of, you know, being in the restaurant and not having a mask. There's lots and lots of case examples of you can be there with your spouse in a corner, but there's a guy, you know, two tables behind you or, you know, table six feet away behind you who's talking loud and has it, doesn't know it, and is, you know, spewing it out into the air. I mean, that that's how you get it because you're sitting there without a mask on. He's sitting there without a mask on. So it's just the fact that it's an indoor environment with non-filtered air and you're there for a prolonged amount of time unmasked, as is the person who's spreading it. Alan, any prediction on uh, – I know you're a big Saints fan and <laughs> you guys go to a lot of games. Any prediction on sports like um, – I mean, specifically football next year, will will we be back to normal? I think that, you know, and obviously I don't have a crystal ball, but I did say in the summer that it was going to be bad in the fall. <laughs> and here we you are were right. <laughs> in the fall and winter. Uh, I would say by summer, let, let's say, you know, people are willing to get the vaccine, um, you know, at least – some proportion of the U.S. population and the European population are willing to get the vaccine. That, coupled with the number of people getting the infection, I think by summer you'll see, you know, late spring, summer, you'll see decreased activity. And if we continue to be able to adhere to some of the things that we've done so far, like masking and um, you know, limiting the number of people in certain businesses and you know just kind of all of the all of the regulations that people are trying to put in place and adhere to if we can continue some of that we can get some people vaccinated i think things will loosen up some and you'll see sporting events with more capacity more crowds allowed those types of things um and probably by the beginning of 2022 we may be back to a more normal, we don't necessarily have to wear a mask all the time, but it may be that if you're going to, you know, a, a concert in the Smoothie King Arena that you're, you, you know, they may require masks because they know that that's a high likelihood event. I think you're probably 18 months or, or if not more away from basically no masks at all. Wow. Um, ever. Wow. Uh, any updates on the antibody, how long that lasts? I mean, I've heard three months. Yeah, I think three months for sure. Um, it's more likely that you you probably have some natural immunity for about six months, you know, if you've had the coronavirus infection. And it could be that you have some degree of immunity for even longer than that, just not enough to keep you from contracting it. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about the vaccine. I mean, we know that it's effective at 90 days uh, based on the, you know, the studies. They'll continue to follow those people uh, over a longer period of time. And, um, you know, I, I hope that what we see is you have immunity for at least a year. And then it just kind of becomes, you know, worst case scenario, it becomes a yearly shot that you have to get. Um, but we don't we just don't have enough information yet. I've got I've got a couple. I know we're starting to bump up on time, but I've got kind of two quick questions. Just your your opinions. Um, 
Alan, I'll start the first one I want to talk about, what, some of the big stuff in the news, and it kind of rocks the markets a little bit too. Mar- you know, markets like certainty, and um, whenever uncertainty happens, and coronavirus certainly has been the largest driver of financial markets in 2020 and, and you know, and might be a good bit of a driver in 2021 as well. Of course, the vaccine news is, is very, very welcomed um, with regards to the markets, but, you know, in the UK, there was the mutation or the strand. I've done a little bit of reading, but enough to make me dangerous. Um, I think what I've read is that they're not seeing that it's, um, you know, like any quote unquote more deadly. Uh, it's just a new strand that's transmitting more than the, I guess, the strand before. Um, what do you guys, what do you guys know about the mutation of it? You, will the vaccines that they have still be effective for, you know, like this UK strain. So yeah, I mean viruses um, viruses mutate yep. routinely. Um, that's not unusual. Uh, the mutations generally that occur are not going to be something that's going to necessarily make the virus more deadly. Um, the one that we have seen coming out of the UK is a variant that perhaps makes it a little more infectious. Um, but certainly doesn't seem to carry a higher mortality rate gotcha. or severity rate, uh, severity of illness rate. Uh, and we do know that the it still has the spike protein. The antibodies that are produced from this vaccine that we have are uh, produced against the spike protein. So uh, those vaccines should be effective against that variant. Awesome. Uh, and I, but what you'll see is you'll you'll see in the future you'll see more variants that are going to be described it's it's not until we see a mutation of the um, parts of the virus that we're creating uh, vaccine to attack that we should really get worried once you see that if you see in the news this variant has a a new twist in the spike protein and the vaccine's ineffective against it but it can still infect the cells that's when you should start worrying gotcha um, one last question for you, and I really do appreciate you coming on and, and joining us. I know you're slam busy oh, with, with the hospital and, and trying to take care of all of us, especially the some of us that, uh, like myself, that <laughs> probably tend to be more <laughs> of a nuisance to you guys than just doing the right thing. Um, but so do you think that it's possible um, with the vaccines that there's going to be some type – I've read about a, you know, a quote-unquote passport – to be able to, you know, go to events or travel? Do you think that's a reality that's where you're going to have to show that you've been, you know, you've received the vaccine to, you know, for traveling, for cruises, for air, for, you know, abroad or, or going to events like, you know, like you were saying concerts earlier where there are, you know, literally the idea of a concert is pack as many people as you can into a small space for, you know, for entertainment. You think that a, a quote unquote vaccine passport will be a reality? I think it's possible. Um, you know, it, I certainly don't know the rationale, um, but I will tell you that we have in the vaccine shipments that we've received, and you've seen these things on social media, we receive pocket cards where we have to document the first and second doses of the vaccine, and that individual, you know, gets that pocket card. So, in my mind, the only reason to do something like that is in the in the situation where 
you use that card to prove that you've been vaccinated in some way. Otherwise, there's no real reason to do it because the vaccine that you know you would get normally, flu shot or whatever, is going to be documented by your healthcare provider. Either that or the fact that it's a more mass vaccination program and they they didn't want people to struggle with being able to, you know, show to their employer or whoever that they've gotten vaccinated. Gotcha. Um, But I think it's certainly possible. I mean, I think you may see, I've even heard now whether this is true or not, I don't know, but I've heard that the NFL is talking about, you know, um, prioritizing tickets to healthcare workers that have been vaccinated and can show they've been vaccinated for the Super Bowl. Um, Right and, and I guess you know, if I don't know if it's true or not, but it logically makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and it would be a carrot to kind of entice people to get vaccinated. And, and I guess if you were a restaurant or bar owner that they could come where if it, you could say, hey, you can't come in my restaurant unless we see some proof that you've been vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly any any type of a privately owned establishment can, you know, they can make their own rules. Yes, you know, the regulations, yeah. Kick yeah. you out if you're not wearing a mask. They can tell you you got to show X to get in. But from a societal point of view, it would make a lot of sense because then you're driving the behavior that you want. You know, if you can't get on an airplane unless you can show you've been vaccinated, I mean, if you've got to travel for work or yeah. whatever, pleasure, you're going to get vaccinated, right? Yep. I mean, so it's an indirect way of kind of enticing people to that are skeptical to get vaccinated. And yeah, I mean, I've done that when I've traveled abroad, like when I've gone to India for mission trips and, you know, my healthcare provider was like, Hey, you know, before you go, we should probably, you know, make sure you've got meds, you need, you know, malaria stuff. You need to make sure you've got all your taken care of so that you're protecting yourself. And I didn't question him. I just said, okay, you're the yeah. boss, man. Just Yeah. So, so one more, uh, crystal ball question when does travel return to quote normal um i mean if it's 18 months before you can go to a football game without any worries it's got to be at least that to go to europe right yeah i mean i think that the real the real answer to that question depends on when countries start to uh relax or even states start to relax on some of this notion of well if you're coming into our country you got to quarantine for 14 days after you arrive yes you know i think that's probably a lot of that is what is causing people to have second thoughts about getting on an airplane or traveling i mean i don't want to who can go to you know on vacation and quarantine for 14 (laughs) days and then have your vacation vacation yeah and then come home you know, and quarantine get, for 14 New morning. York has that right now and yeah. Connecticut, you know, all these. I mean, it, it's illogical. It would only be logical to do something like that if the amount of community activity was very low in the area that's doing it or non-existent so that you didn't want to introduce it into you. But yeah. the degree of activity that you're seeing around the world, it's illogical to have those types of uh, – to me, those are more – you know, governmental ways of showing we're trying to do something rather than actually public health measures that are helping anything. Um, So I think you're going to have to see those regulations go away. And then um, 
I think airlines probably have done a pretty good job of requiring masks and, you know, doing as much sanitation and things as they can. Um, you know, truth of the matter is, it's probably not unsafe to travel if everybody's masked in the airplane. And uh, I mean, it's it's a higher risk than not doing it at all, but I wouldn't call it a high risk activity. I'd probably call it a moderate risk activity. Um, you know, just because you're in a, an enclosed environment for a prolonged amount of time with somebody that could have it. But it, again, if there's masks on everybody, yep. it makes it a much lower risk. Yeah, and they say they're circulating their air, you know, really very frequently, like every 30, 60 seconds. Um, through, yeah, and I think they've filters. installed all kinds of uh, filtering yeah. mechanisms to try to really filter out viral particles and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think they're trying um, to do that. I mean, part. I haven't flown personally. If I had the option to drive versus fly, that's what I would do just because, you know, honest, I mean, if we're all being honest, there is a little bit of um, social phobia that everybody has kind of developed as a, as a relates to this pandemic, you know, right. being in an enclosed environment is a little bit, you know, makes you panic a little bit initially um, because you haven't been in that situation in a year or whatever. Um, so probably until we start to see a lot less activity and, um, you know, more vaccines and that kind of stuff come out, I would think you're going to continue to see decreases in the amount of travel that is happening. Well, Alan, man, I really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. I know we're bumping up on time for you, um, you know, and for us as well. But, um, man, I'm, I'm really grateful for your willingness to share your knowledge and experience and, and kind of kind of guide us through maybe phase two or <laughs> three or whatever of, <laughs> Something. Of, of this coronavirus. But, man, I hope you have a happy new year. I, I look forward to 2021 being the year of the recovery versus the year of the virus. And, and thanks yeah. again, Alan, Me for all, all you do and all the healthcare workers uh, for making us feel a lot more safe. Appreciate it. Happy New Year, buddy. Yeah, same to you guys. All right. Appreciate y'all having me and um, look forward to the next time. Yes, sir. Thanks, Alan. All right. Bye-bye.